Please turn with me in your Bible to the second chapter of the Epistle to the Hebrews. We will be reading verses 14 through 18. Hear now the word of God. Since therefore the children partake in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we just come before you now and we praise you once again for the great gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has destroyed he who has the power of death, who has won deliverance for us from death and from sin and from all our great ills, Lord. Lord, we praise you and we ask that you would just bless this, your word, this evening. And that by your Holy Spirit, the great truths will be brought home to each and every one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The great epistle to the Hebrews began with a glorious description of the Son through whom God has now spoken his final word. Jesus Christ is the one through whom he made the worlds, the very brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of his person, the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. He is the one whom the angels worship, the one for whom all creation exists. And thus in chapter 2, the author begins with a very strong warning about how the word that was given in Christ must be heeded. We read in verses 1 through 3, Therefore we may, must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. The author makes the point that the word that God delivered through angels proved reliable and true, and every sin and transgression of this word was punished severely. Therefore, how much more will this be the case with the word that has come through the Lord Jesus Christ? And then the author makes a distinction between men and angels. Verse 5, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? God did not make angels in his image. God did not place all things in subjection to men, excuse me, to angels. Rather, he made man in his image. He put all things in subjection to men. And not only to humanity in general, but as he says in verse 7, 
through 9. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The author quotes Psalm 8 in explaining the nature of humanity in being made a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory and honor and all things put in subjection to him. We do not now see all things put in subjection to humanity, but we see something greater. We see the Lord Jesus, who is made for a little while lower than the angels and crowned with glory and honor, so that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And thus, as the author says, it is fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things to make the captain of their salvation one with those who receive salvation. In other words, it is fitting for the one who accomplishes salvation and redemption to be made one with those who receive that redemption. As he says in verses 10 through 13, for it was fitting that he, for whom all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies And those who are being sanctified are all of one. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. The Lord Jesus has become one with those whom he came to save. And thus we come to our text this evening, where this great truth is stated plainly. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. The Lord Jesus became man. He took upon himself human flesh and blood, partaking of the same things, the very same nature that we ourselves partake. And the reason why he did so is so that he might destroy our great foes. Sin, death, and the devil himself. And this is the first great point of this text this evening. God became man so that he might destroy the great foes of man and bring deliverance unto them. Look at what he says here. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that same nature of which human beings partake, that which they themselves possess, the Son of God also took upon himself. Since the children partake of flesh and blood, he himself partook of these same things. Now who are the children? Well, the children are mentioned, of course, in verse 13, in a quotation from Isaiah 8. They are those who are being sanctified, In other words, they are all those human beings who are in need of a Savior for whom Christ died. And Christ condescends to take to himself the same human nature 
that they themselves possess. The Lord Jesus is God. He is the fully divine second person of the Trinity. And He is above all things. He is God the Son, God the Creator. All else is created. He alone is uncreated. John Owen once noted that an angel and a worm are closer than God and an angel because the angel and a worm are alike both created. They are both creatures. And yet, God condescended to take to Himself a fully human nature in order that He might redeem His people. God the King came and dwelt among us. He took to Himself those very same things that constitute humanity. He took to Himself flesh and blood. God became man without ceasing to be God. He became one with us. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14 in Philippians 2, verses 6-7, through 7, we read of the Son, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God became man, and God the Son united to Himself a true human nature, such that forevermore He became fully God and fully man in one person. He took to himself the very nature of his people, such that, as we read in verses 11 and 12, he is not ashamed to call us brothers. What a glorious truth this is, that God himself should condescend. God the Creator should come among us, take our nature, and call us brethren. What a wonder this is, God Himself took human flesh that He might be our brother, our captain, and our king. How marvelous is this great incarnation of our Lord. And the reason why He did so is that He might destroy the foes of the human race. As it says, that through death He might destroy the one who has the very power of death, that is the devil. This is such a powerful image. Through the very weapon of the enemy, our Lord destroyed the enemy. Through death, He destroyed him who had the power of death. What our Lord Jesus did was die. He went to the cross and died so that He would take to Himself the punishment for the sins of His people. He went to the cross and suffered and died for them and paid the price for their sins. His death was the death for the sins of fellow human beings, for the sins of all of God's people. The penalty for those sins was death, and Christ underwent that so that we might not. But because it was the death of the person who was also divine, it was sufficient for all of the people of God. Recall the phrase that Pastor McWilliams uses so often. His infinite person gave to his finite sufferings infinite value. And that was necessary because our sins were against an infinite God. 
Thus, through the death of Jesus Christ, our sins are paid. And the reason why he had to die was because the penalty for our sins is death. Death is the fruit of sin. Death is a reward of sin. Death is a logical result of sin. The end of the life that God has given and the destruction of life with God. Recall that when God gave the command to Adam, he said, you may eat surely of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And indeed, man did surely die. He died spiritually to God. He was no longer capable of obeying him. He was no longer capable of living rightly toward him. Thus we read in Ephesians 2, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. We were dead. We had no way of being made alive. That is, until the Lord Jesus Christ came, and through the very weapon of the devil, through death itself, he won the victory and brought us eternal life. Through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were delivered from death and from its power. You know, the medieval theologians wrote a lot about what was fitting, what was appropriate, what was most right. Augustine and Aquinas talked about how it was most appropriate for Christ to come when he did, rather than at any other time. But in Scripture, sometimes we see a fittingness, a rightness that goes beyond what any human wisdom ever could have conceived. Who could have fathomed that God himself would use death to destroy death? Who could have thought that Christ would become man, God would become man, and use the very weapon of the enemy to destroy death itself, to bring life to the people of God? This is an act of astonishing divine wisdom as God brings all of the threads of salvation together. What man needed, Christ provided. What was lost, God more than restored it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Though man was dead, Christ brought life by undergoing death himself. And he did it in order to destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Now the question may be asked, how is it that the devil has the power of death? The power of death is said to be the devil's because he first tempted man to sin and brought death into this world with all our woe until one greater man restored us. The power of death is the devil's in the sense that the sting of death is sin to which man was originally tempted by the devil. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 through 57, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the devil, sin, temptation, and death have come. But Christ came to destroy all of these. We read in 1 John 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And he accomplished the work for which he came. The Lord Jesus destroyed 
the works of the devil. And the Lord Jesus came in order to deliver us from death and from the power of death. As we read in verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now the introduction of sin brought the horror of death wherein the body and soul are sundered and the life that God has given to humanity is removed. Death is truly a horrible thing and it is the result of sin. We see our Lord's great passion over the tragedy of death in John 11, verse 33, where after the death of Lazarus, he was with Mary and Martha. And it says, when Jesus saw Mary, her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Pastor McDonald recently made a point about how society tries to sentimentalize death and make it something that is a part of life. But as he rightly noted, it is not. It is purely unnatural and destructive. Death is horrible, and it casts a shadow of fear upon creation. All of creation is enslaved to it, and it brings terror. But thanks be to God, Christ has delivered us from that fear. The Lord Jesus came to destroy death, and its power and deliver us from the fear of it. This is such a great verse. Not only did our Lord come to destroy the devil and his works, but he came to deliver us from death and from its power and even from the very fear of it. The Lord Jesus came and through death destroyed death and delivered us. He released us from that bondage that it held over us. Christ has come and released us to the freedom that is eternal life. And he was able to do this because he conquered death itself by rising again, physically, bodily, literally, from the grave. Though he had truly died, he truly rose again and demonstrated his power over death. Through his resurrection, his victory over death is complete. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 22, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then in verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And thus in these two verses here in Hebrews, verses 14 and 15, we see the great deliverance that the Lord Jesus has won for us. He has triumphed over our greatest foes, sin, death, and the devil himself. By taking upon himself our flesh and undergoing death and rising again from the grave. And by doing this, he released his people. He delivered us from the bondage in which we were held. The bondage that was ours by birth. Christ came among us and delivered us. 
the great truth of this is so profound. As the noblest monarch who takes the field at the head of his army to destroy the foes of his people, so also God the Son has taken upon himself human nature that he might himself destroy our foes and deliver us, we his people. He has saved. God became man so that he might destroy man's enemies. And this privilege is not given to any other creature, but only to humanity. As we read in verse 16, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And this is the second point of the text. Christ has not brought salvation to angels, but to men, by taking upon himself their nature. The author, having spent much of the first chapter demonstrating the superiority of the Son to angels, now demonstrates that the Son did not come to save angels, but to save those who are the offspring of Abraham. Now the question may be asked, who are the offspring of Abraham? Does this mean that Christ only died for the Jews? He only died who were those who were physically descended from Abraham? No, as we read in Galatians 3, it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And in verse, excuse me, in verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The Lord Jesus came to save all those who are his, all those who trust in him. Christ did not come to save angels, but to save every human being who trusts in him. And this is a a great point. Some angels fell, but they were not given that redemption through Christ. It is only to man that God gives this great privilege of salvation from sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. This once again shows the immense grace of God. God did not take to himself the nature of angels. He took to himself the nature of human beings, of men, that he might redeem men. And now the word here for helps does not simply mean help. It is the idea of grasping something, of taking a hold of something in order to help it. As a man seizes a young child to pull them out of the way of an oncoming vehicle, so also Christ seized us to redeem us from the sin into which we were plunged headlong. The earliest commentators viewed the idea here as of Christ seizing our nature as it was running away from God. We who are sinners need the Son of God to grasp a hold of us and bring us salvation as we are sinners and incapable of receiving it of our own power. We need Him to take a hold of our humanity and bring us salvation. And in this, he took upon himself the whole nature of human beings. As we read in verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The reason why God the Son had to become human 
The reason why he had to be made fully man is so that he might be a true high priest for his people and bring them salvation. And this is the third great point of this text. God the Son became man so that he might accomplish salvation for men as their high priest. During the great Christological debates of the early church, several points were made about why it was necessary for our Lord to be both fully divine and fully human. One of these points was that if Christ were not fully divine, then we would not truly be reconciled to God. We would be in bondage to one who was not himself truly God, and we would still be alienated from him. Another corresponding point was that if Christ was not fully human, then he could not have brought salvation to us. His work could not have been applied to our account. We needed a representative in our nature, someone who was truly and fully human in order to reconcile us to God. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He could not be our priest unless he was one with us in nature. Hebrews 5 verse 1 says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so also is it with our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. He had to be made man in order that he might offer sacrifice on our behalf. And it says that he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. He is a merciful high priest. As we read in Hebrews 5, 2, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Our Lord Jesus has compassion upon us because he knows our temptations. He knows our trials. He knows what we are undergoing. Everything that we are tempted with, he also has been tempted with as well. And yet he has conquered us, conquered it, and he is able to deliver us because he has overcome every temptation that we will face. And he is a faithful high priest. As high priest, he is given an appointed task and he never falters in the execution of it. Despite the fact that he is subject to temptation, he never fails. He has never sinned once. He never falters as our faithful high priest. As we read in Hebrews 7, verse 26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. It is such a great truth that we have a high priest who is merciful and compassionate compassionate towards us, and yet who is also faithful in his task, who is perfectly pure and righteous before God. And the whole reason that he must be made like his brethren in every respect is so that as high priest, he may offer a propitiation for our sins. The work of a high priest 
was to offer sacrifices and to make intercession. We read in chapter 8, verse 3, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. The whole reason why Jesus came was so that he might become a high priest and offer the perfect sacrifice of propitiation for God's people. That he might suffer the wrath that was rightly theirs as the one true and living sacrifice. Thus, in this verse and the next, we see the very foundation of the incarnation. The whole reason that the Lord Jesus became human was so that he might be high priest over his people and offer sacrifice for their sins. Now, the word propitiation means an appeasement of the wrath of God. The priests were called to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people, such that these sacrifices would satisfy the wrath of God and avert it from the offerer. In other words, the sacrifices that the priests offered for sins were substitutions. The sinner would be substituted with the sacrifice, and the wrath of God would fall upon the substitute rather than the sinner who offered. As the person offering beheld the animal being destroyed, they would see their sins punished upon the animal rather than upon themselves. The animal served as a substitution and a replacement for the sinner. But we read in Hebrews 10, verses 3 and 4, But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It was impossible for the blood of animals to be a true substitute for the sins of human beings. There needed to be a true substitutionary atonement made. A true replacement of someone who was of the same nature as the sinner. And thus, it was necessary for God the Son to become incarnate so that he might be that true substitute. That he might make that perfect propitiatory sacrifice as the high priest over the people of God. Since he has partaken of flesh and blood of the very same things as his brethren, therefore his sacrifice on the cross is able to be substituted for us. The wrath of God has fallen on Christ and not upon those of us who trust in him. Thus his cross is substituted for all who trust in him such that no sinner who looks to Christ ever need fear the wrath of God again. God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus, who is the propitiation for our sins, the perfect sacrifice. And thus, once again, the reason why he is able to be our substitute is because he partook of flesh and blood, because he became human. This is what we have celebrated this whole season. The whole reason Christmas exists is because it was necessary for God the Son to take our nature so that we might have a true substitute such that we would never suffer the wrath of God for sins. And that is what we celebrate in Christmas. 
Christ took our nature. He grasped a hold of it such that we might be saved. And just as our high priest made sacrifices for sins and makes the atonement of propitiation for them, so also does he give us aid in our struggles. As we read in verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. The Lord Jesus, our high priest, as he is fully man, has been tempted in all points as we are. And yet he is perfectly pure and holy. As we read in chapter 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He has been tempted with all of our temptations, yet he has overcome them all. As our great champion, he has undergone even this trial, even the trial of temptation, and he has defeated every one of them. And as our great high priest, he is able to provide for us aid because he knows what we are undergoing in our trials, our difficulties, and our struggles with sin. And he is able to precisely give us the strength that we need by the power of his Holy Spirit. You see, of all the human beings who have ever lived, only the Lord Jesus Christ has completely overcome temptation. Every single other human being has been tempted and has struggled with it for a while, has fought with it, and in the end has given in. Not so our Lord Jesus. He has endured it to the very end until he was the victor over temptation. Temptation to sin never mastered him, but he mastered it. Thus he knows precisely what we need. And he is able to give every single one of us in this room precisely the aid that we need to overcome sin. The very difficulties that you are struggling with now, he knows And by the power of His Holy Spirit, He is able to give you strength to overcome them. And so to you who are believers, I exhort you tonight to look to this great Lord, our great champion, our captain of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man, the great high priest who took upon Himself our nature that he might make the perfect sacrifice for sins. The one who has endured every trial that you will ever undergo and is thus able to give you strength to overcome it. If you are a believer, I exhort you, look to the Lord Jesus, who is God and man, our great high priest, our Lord and our King. But if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, You do not have this great high priest. You do not have this great salvation. You do not have this sacrifice to save you from sins. You stand alone before the wrath of God, the terrible wrath of God. And so I exhort you as well to the the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to Him for salvation, for He has won it. Look to Him, for there is no other name under heaven by which you will be saved.
And thus I exhort everyone this evening to look to the great Lord Jesus Christ, our great Lord who has come among us, taken upon Himself our very nature and has won us salvation. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we praise You once again in awe of this great salvation that the Lord Jesus has won for us. We praise You and we glorify You because this was an act of infinite wisdom. This was something that was beyond our comprehension, Lord. How You brought us salvation through the very power of Your resurrecting life. That through death, You overcame death and rose again and brought us salvation. Lord, we ask that You would allow us to glorify You with all of our lives as we go forth from this place. In Jesus' name, Amen.